Good morning. Happy Easter to you. Uh, it's great to be together. I'm going to go ahead and save all of you introverts from the extroverts that keep talking to you and ask that we come back to focus for a minute. Um, it's good to be with you. Easter is my favorite Sunday of the year. I'm unapologetic about that. Um, if you're new with us, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be together this morning. Today we are uh, we're having some fun and we are diving in and we're talking about this word, unbelievable. And as I'm thinking about unbelievable, I, I've come to this conclusion. We all have moments in our lives that we would describe as unbelievable. If you think back on your life, you probably have these moments. You'd say, that was unbelievable. That was unbelievable. You know, for me, when my high school basketball team won the state championship my senior year, it, it wasn't unbelievably fashionable, but it was unbelievable. When I was in North Dakota and for the first time saw the Northern Lights in all their glory, it was unbelievable. When my wife said that she would marry me and then actually followed through, it was unbelievable. When each of my three children were born, it was unbelievable. When I was baptized in the Pacific Ocean, that moment was unbelievable. When I stood staring out at Yosemite National Park for the very first time, that was unbelievable. When I experienced Pastor Matt preaching a sermon under 30 minutes, that was unbelievable. The best part about that is his wife was in cahoots with me on that. So, uh, You see, friends, we can all talk, look back over our lives and talk about events, talk about moments that we would say were unbelievable. And yet today... We gather to talk about an event that was the most unbelievable in all of human history. The moment when the God of the universe defeated sin and death once and for all. Because we're diving into Luke's version of this story, and just in case you need a refresher or if you've missed some things along the way, let me catch you up. Jesus, this rabbi from Galilee, the rural area in northern Israel, has become quite popular For the last several years, he's been traveling about the country. He's been performing miracles, things like healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, making the lame walk. He's also been teaching in their places of worship. He's been talking to people out on the streets. And what he's been telling them is this, the kingdom of God is coming. One day, things are going to be the way God longs for them to be in this world. Evil, oppression, injustice, they are all going to be, at some point, overwhelmed and destroyed by God's amazing love and grace. And he's been telling this to all sorts of people, people you wouldn't expect. Not just the ultra-religious people, not just the people who everyone liked and accepted, but the outcasts, the rejected, the marginalized... And so as you can imagine, this has created some energy. This has created a movement. And people have been wondering, how is all this going to happen? What will it look like? 
And so when Jesus comes to Jerusalem for this huge national celebration of freedom called Passover, the people rally, they gather, gather together, they cheer, they welcome Him, and there is this buzz in the air that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is going to be their next king, their next ruler. But then all of a sudden, the story takes a tragic turn. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own and the rulers of the city, the authorities in Jerusalem, have him arrested, falsely accused. And in a moment that no one expected, he is mocked, beaten, tortured, and executed on a Roman cross. As this happens, his closest followers are, of course, confused, heartbroken, devastated. Their teacher, their leader, their master, their Lord has been ripped away from them in a way they could never have possibly imagined. And on Friday afternoon, they watched as his beaten, dead, lifeless body was removed from the cross, wrapped in linen, and laid in a tomb. This is where we pick up the story today. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. You see, ideally, you would embalm a dead body right after a person dies. Why? Because this is the ancient world. They don't have morgues or refrigerators to keep the bodies in. But Jesus, he's crucified on Passover Friday. The next day, Saturday, is the Sabbath. And there are religious laws that prohibit these women from anointing Jesus' body on those days. So when Luke tells us that on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, when he tells us that's when they go, he's telling us, that these women are going to anoint Jesus' body as soon as they possibly can. Why? Why are they in such a rush? Why do they get up so early and rush there as soon as they possibly can? I'll tell you why. Because as far as they know, the decomposing process is well underway. You see, they aren't walking to the tomb saying, maybe he's alive, maybe he rose, has death been defeated, fingers crossed. (laughs) No. You have to imagine the scene. You have to dive into it and see it from the perspective of these ladies. We are so used to the Easter story, friends. It's lost its punch. The wow factor has been dulled for us, but not for these women. They are fully expecting, 100%, without any doubt in the world, that Jesus' dead body will be lying, wrapped, and decomposing in the tomb in which they laid him. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Friends, know this to be true. Still, Even now, even with the body gone, the thought that Jesus might maybe could possibly be alive is not even yet on their radar. Instead, their thoughts and conversation probably goes something like this. Who has taken him? Who has stolen the body of our Lord, our Master, our beloved Rabbi? Wasn't it enough that they tortured and humiliated him? Wasn't it enough that they mocked and crucified him? Who has him? What have they done? Why in the world would they do this? While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Okay, now this is the moment when this story starts to get a little weird. 
This is the moment when all of a sudden, you, as the reader, these women, start to realize that what you think is about to happen might not happen. Because these two men are not your average first century dudes. And we know this, not just from the description we have of them, but from the reaction we get from the women. Here's what it says. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. You see, this is not a response that says, nice digs, cool clothes, how'd you get them so darn white? Extra bleach? And by the way, where's our master? No! This response says, we can see that you are not of this world. This response tells us that these women understand that they are encountering some supernatural beings. The Gospel of John tells us that these two men are angels. And now all of a sudden we start to get this glimpse that God just might be up to something here. That God might just have something to do with the strange reality that the stone was rolled away. But the men said to the ladies, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And now all of a sudden things are starting to click. All of a sudden, their minds are starting to catch up with the reality that they're being faced with. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever walked into a situation where you expected something to be a certain way, to go a certain way, to to, to play out in a certain sequence of events, and when you got there, it it was completely different, and it took your brain a few moments to sort of recalibrate and adjust to what you were actually seeing and experiencing. Has this ever happened to you? A few years ago, my wife turned 30 and I arranged this surprise party for her that was pretty fun. Um, Now, at the outset of this story, I have to say as a disclaimer that I have blown it multiple times on my wife's birthday. In fact, probably the biggest fight of our entire marriage came as the result of me completely whiffing on her birthday this one year. And so I do not tell this story to in any way insinuate that I am some sort of star husband. Amy is here in this service, and she will let you know I am not. (laughs) Especially when it comes to birthdays. However, on this particular night, I got it right. Amy and I had gone out to enjoy a, a nice dinner, and afterwards we were, we were walking to the movies. Now, earlier in the week, Amy had overheard me making some plans. She'd overheard me on the phone talking to some friends about meeting us somewhere. And so as, as we were walking towards the theater, she begins to sort of taunt me. And she's saying with a little bit of a tone in her voice, Brian and Allie are going to meet us at the movies, aren't they? I, I know what you're up to. I heard about you. You're not slick, you know? <laughs> That's just, you know, you're not a good liar, which is probably good in the long run, right? And she's saying, I know Brian and Allie are going to Who's meeting us at the movies? And I said, oh, you just have to wait and see. I know someone's meeting us there. And as she's saying this, with a little bit of attitude, I might point out, um, all of a sudden, a giant school bus filled with people hollering and cheering pull up right alongside us. And I'll never forget the look on my wife's face because she has no idea what's going on. She told me later that she was convinced it was a bus of obnoxious teens and she was looking at them, kind of sneeringly judging them. (laughs) When all of a sudden, she realized that one of the people with their head out the window, she knew that it was a friend of hers. And then she noticed there was another person that was a friend of hers and another and another and another. And they were all looking at her and cheering. And then this bus stopped and the doors opened and I began to lead her towards the open door. And friends, I wish you could have seen her face because still she wasn't quite sure what was happening. 
And we get on the bus and we walk to the top of the stairs and everybody in there yells, Happy birthday! And finally it hits her. Nobody's meeting us at the movies. We are not going to the movies. The reality of this party is going to be something far beyond what she ever expected or imagined. And friends, that times about a million is how these women are starting to feel. The reality of what has happened to Jesus is something far beyond what they have ever expected or imagined and their minds are now suddenly racing to catch up with it. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? You see, friends, this is a story about a God who always does what he says he will do. This is a story about a God who keeps his promises, even when his promises are beyond our ability to comprehend. Then they remembered his words. Then, after this reminder, the women remembered that Jesus had told him. You see, they had the information all along, but they lacked the personal experience. They had heard him say, this is how it's going to happen, but it never quite computed in their minds because they didn't have a personal experience to match. And this morning, friends, I want to suggest to you that many of us are exactly like these women. We've heard the message. We know about the claim. We have the information of the resurrection. But the problem is that we often aren't willing to step out in faith and experience the resurrection of Jesus in our lives. So the information, isolated by itself, separated from experience, remains just that, information. Friends, information alone won't do anything for your life, for your soul. But Easter, Easter invites you into something more than just having information. Easter is an invitation to not just know about the resurrection, but to come and meet, to come and experience the resurrected Jesus himself. And let me tell you something, friends. Information does not equal transformation, but information plus experience can lead to transformation. Information plus experience can result in a transformed life. And so the key is to move beyond just information into an experience of the risen Lord. But I'll tell you why most people don't do that. Maybe this describes you. Maybe it describes you at certain points of your life. It certainly has me. The reason so many people stop with just collecting information about Jesus is because you can gain information without very much risk. It doesn't cost you that much to seek out and acquire information, but experience, experience is different. Experience often takes risk. Experience often takes a step of faith, a step into the unknown, a step into places that are scary and even fearful, uncertain. Let me give you an example. Over Christmas this year, our family went down to visit my brother, who's currently living in San Antonio, Texas. And while we were down there enjoying the 85-degree weather at the end of December, we spent one day at Six Flags. And we went as an entire family, and as soon as we got into the park, right away we got in line for 
the biggest roller coaster there, this roller coaster called the Iron Rattler. And we waited in line for a while, but finally when we got to the very front, we were only a few people from getting on this coaster. All of a sudden, my son Dax announces, I'm out. And he starts heading for the exit. And he's like, nope, changed my mind. I'm cashing it in. Not doing this. And he was hightailing it out of there. He, like, he, wanted, he wanted no part of me like grabbing him or coaxing him or talking him back on. He was moving. And so I'm like, Dax, 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 Dax. Come here. Come here, buddy. Come here. Come on. Come here. Come here. And he came over. And I talked to him for just a brief minute about the experience of riding this roller coaster. I talked to him for a few minutes about how it would take a step of faith in order for him to have this experience. It's absolutely terrifying, right? And I said, hey, buddy, if you want to have the experience, you've got to push your way through the fear. You've got to trust. You've got to take a step of faith. You will never experience this unless you trust. Trust me. Trust the safety engineers. Trust that you're going to be okay. Because it's one thing to know about a roller coaster. It's another thing to ride one. You see, information and experience are actually very different. They're not separated. They go together, but they are very different. And to Dax's credit, my 10-year-old son climbed back over the railing and he got on. Awesome. You see, friends, the women in our story today, they were told by Jesus that he was going to rise from the grave. They have the information, but now they have to decide. Now they have to make a decision. Will they step out in faith and experience it? Experience the story of the resurrected Jesus that has the power to transform their lives. You see, this is the moment where they get to move from information to experience and then life transformation. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. You know, one thing people have often wondered as we talk about uh, the resurrection is this question. Maybe it's a question you've had, maybe it's a question you've heard. It's actually a fairly reasonable question. It's something that is easy to think or wonder about, and that's this. You know, maybe Jesus never really rose from the grave. Maybe what happened here was his disciples, in kind of a panic, stole the body and then made this entire story up. Maybe this whole thing is just one big hoax that everybody's gotten caught up into and and we're all just sort of fools. But friends, I have to tell you this. If you were creating a hoax... If you were in on some scam or some fabricated story meant to trick people into believing that Jesus rose from the dead, you would never tell the story like this. This is not a, we're trying to fool you, this is just a big hoax story. It is not told that way at all. First of all, women in the ancient world were second class citizens. They were treated poorly, they had very little value. They had even less credibility. They were not even considered to be reliable testimony in courts of law. In other words, if a crime was committed and the only eyewitness to that crime was a woman, the the, uh, guilty party would go free because that testimony was not valid. 
In fact, one striking thing about Jesus, and you see this all throughout the Gospels, is how much he respected and dignified and honored the women of his world, given how they were treated in the larger context. Jesus, Jesus just goes against the grain here and says, no, we value women, I value women, I love women. But the culture didn't. And so here's the point. If you were the disciples... And you were trying to convince people that this thing happened, that this event was true, that wasn't really true. You would never say, I know how we can get everyone to believe this. Let's cast women as our primary eyewitnesses to this event. That would make no sense at all. And yet that's exactly what they do. Listen to what Luke says. Who discovers that Jesus rose from the grave? What's that a list of? A bunch of women. A bunch of women that everybody else in the society would say, we don't believe them. Right? And yet Luke tells it that way, which just shows us that he's committed to authenticity, that he's not trying to trick us in any way. There are no ulterior motives. And this leads to the other thing we notice here, and that's how just unconvinced the men are. But they, the men, did not believe the women. Some things never change even after 2,000 years. (laughs) They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them, like, hear this, seemed to them like nonsense this is really really weird this is crazy this isn't this is the bible unlike you've ever really thought about it before because their words because this news that jesus rose from the grave grave seemed to them like nonsense seriously ladies that's crazy he's dead we saw him die it's been days he's dead he's not only dead he is deader than dead he's dead Why are you coming back with these crazy stories? You see, sometimes we tend to think things like this. People will say stuff like, well, people back then, they believed Jesus rose from the dead because that was just the sort of thing that ancient people would believe. You know, those people, those ancient folks that lived thousands of years ago, they weren't nearly as smart or as educated as we are. And so they would believe anything. Friends, let me reassure you of something, something I I know 100% to be true. For many, many thousands of years, even before the era of modern medicine and science, people have been certain of this one fact. Dead people stay dead. Did not need modern medicine to discover this. Dead people stay dead. Death is a one-way ticket you do not come back from. You see, the Bible characters think this story is as crazy as you would have thought it was if you were there. It does not take a modern mind to understand that this is a little bit out there. The message of the Bible, let's just be clear here. Let's just get clear on the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not, Jesus rose from the grave, of course he rose, and to think anything other than the fact that he rose is just dumb. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says, we know this sounds crazy, We know it's beyond human logic and that it defies the laws of physics. We know that until you experience it, it may seem to you like utter nonsense. But this thing that seems unbelievable is actually the most unbelievable event in human history. You see, we called our Easter celebration this year unbelievable and we did it on purpose because this word unbelievable has two very distinct definitions one of these definitions i'll propose will mark your response to easter will mark the life you will live in response to this event one of these definitions will guide and steer your life that's what the bible says you will have to decide definition number one unbelievable not 
able to be believed, unlikely to be true. Or definition number two, unbelievable, something great, extreme, extraordinary. You see, what Easter says is this, even though it may seem like like the resurrection of Christ fits into category one, definition number one. Easter calls, invites you and me into the extraordinary, extreme, phenomenal life of definition number two. And the Bible says this, if you'll open your mind, if you will open your heart, your soul to the fact that in this story, God is up to something, which changes everything, by the way. All the variables are different now. That God is the one who keeps his promises, is inviting you into a life of experience with him. If you will shift from saying in your mind and heart, this story is unbelievable, to this story is unbelievable, God will do the extreme. God can do something great. God can do the extraordinary in your life. And that's what we start to see in Peter. That's what we start to see in the very people that were there on this day. Check out verse number 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away amazed at what had happened. Some translations say he went away wondering, that he was filled with wonder. Other translations say he marveled at the possibility that Christ had risen from the grave. But the point is this. We start to see a shift in Peter. His mind and heart have started to shift from nonsense to amazement. From this couldn't happen to God has done and is doing something extraordinary. But the question isn't really for Peter. This passage isn't for Peter. This day isn't for Peter. Friends, this day is for us. This question is for you and me. And so what about you? What definition will you choose today when thinking about the resurrection? Is it just something that can't be believed or is it something so amazing and extraordinary that I must wrap and live my entire life around it? You see, the question is not, do you accept the information? The question is not, do you accept the propositional truth that Jesus rose from the grave? The question is, are you willing to, by faith, step into the greatest, most amazing, extraordinary story in the history of the universe? Are you willing to let this event, from this point forward, define and shape all of the rest of your entire life? Because if it's true, it's that huge. And let me tell you this, friends. If you're willing... If you are willing to make that step, if you're willing to trust in that way, our unbelievable God will do some unbelievable things in your life. Things that this world can never do. He will offer you unbelievable joy. He will offer you unbelievable hope. He hands you unbelievable for free without even earning it peace and purpose. He says, and now, through my death and resurrection, when you step into it, you will have an unbelievable eternity reunited with your Heavenly Father. See, maybe you're here today and what God is asking of you is just to re-engage. 
Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit, God is just saying, it's time to re-engage, it's time to look at this again. Maybe you've walked away from the church, you've walked away from the Lord, you've walked away from a life of faith, and it's time to turn again and look at the resurrection of Christ and consider making that the center point of your life because you've tried some other things and they just don't work. They leave you empty and unfulfilled and you know they aren't right. And maybe today God is saying to you, come on back, take a look again, consider me, consider my son, consider my love, consider the death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you're at the beginning of that journey. Maybe you need to be like Peter and you need to run back to the tomb and start checking this thing out. And you need to commit to spending time and energy um, considering and exploring this unbelievable claim that Christ rose from the grave. Maybe that's you today and it's just time to turn your life back around and consider some things afresh. Or maybe, maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is saying something different to you. Maybe the Spirit is saying something more. Maybe the Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is actually talking to you right now in your mind and heart and He's nudging you and calling you and telling you that the time for exploring is over that you've come as far as you can come on this journey by just gathering information. Maybe this morning the real question is, will you take a step of faith? Will you open your mind and heart to the experience of accepting Jesus into your life? Will you get on the roller coaster? You see, some of us have been in line for a really long time. Maybe we've gotten out of line and back in and out of line and back in, but we've never actually gotten on board. We've never actually experienced what it feels like to step out in faith and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe this morning the Spirit is saying, it's time to take that step. If that's you this morning, I want to give you that chance. I want to help you take that step because it's a step you will never regret. I want to give you the chance to trust a God God who will always do what He says He will do. I want to give you a chance today to step by faith into an experience of trusting Jesus. And so if you're here and deep in your heart you know that you need to and that you want to and that you were made to have a relationship with the living God of the universe, I'm going to pray. And I would just ask you to join me in this prayer, that you would just say it in your own mind and heart, and you would just say it quietly inside, and you would say it to God. Don't say it to me. Don't say it to your neighbor. Just say it to him. He will hear even your innermost thoughts. That's what the scriptures say. So I'm going to use my words, but you use your own. I'm just going to lead you. And for the rest of us, maybe this is just a chance to recommit centering our life around the risen Christ. And so I'm going to ask that you would just bow your head Close your eyes with me, and if you need to talk to God right now, uh, do some business with Him. Let's do that. Father, this morning we have heard the truth that you defeated sin and death, that you conquered death, and that you did it for us. God, our desire is to not just know that, but to step into it and experience it and live from it. And so, God, we want to say that we believe that you love us. God, I believe that you love me so much that you came to earth in Jesus. That you died to pay the price for my sins, that you rose from the grave and defeated death and gave me new life. And and today, God, I receive that. I open my heart and mind to that. I accept it. I receive you. And I invite you, Jesus, to be Lord of my life from this day forward. 
I invite your Holy Spirit to lead and guide me. And I ask that, Father, you would help me never to forget the wonder and marvel of the amazing grace that you offer. Thank you, God, for being our King. Thank you, Lord, for defeating death on our behalf. We love you. We trust you. And together we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.